Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast starring Matt Levy and Mike Staub. We love video games and have embarked on a journey to index the greatest video games of all time into our very own Hall of Fame. Here's the show. Hey, Mike, happy spring. Hey, Matt, happy spring. Yeah, it's uh, I think right now it's the either second day of spring, I think, that we're recording this, even though outside right now it feels like it's still winter. That's okay. Everything will thaw out eventually, and uh, our allergies will ruin <laughs> any positive feeling that we have about going outside. So to be honest with you, it's just like, ah, well, just another excuse that we just- have to stay inside. Right. Just another excuse to play video games. But springtime for me usually means exciting things in the gaming world. I feel like you start to get ideas of what's coming out later this year, usually the E3, which hasn't really existed in a fully formed format in a while. But you you start to hear about what games might be coming out later in the year. Yeah. And E3 is a weird spot, right? E3 almost seems, and I hate to say this, but almost seems unnecessary uh, these days because of everyone's kind of taking the direct-to-market approach, especially with Nintendo's been doing that for years. So they haven't had an E3 press conference in years. You've got Square now doing their own direct things. Sony does their own direct stuff. Microsoft, I think, does some things here or there. So it's very interesting to see how something like E3 will continue to survive unless it becomes something more of a fan event. If it's something for fans to go and experience new stuff and less of an industry. If they change it to like a Comic-Con type experience for the gaming yeah. world, I feel yeah. like that could do well. But think about it, Mike. If you're a company like EA or even Microsoft and it costs you a half a million dollars, or let's say three, $400,000 to staff, to build the sets, to, to create the content. Sometimes they're creating demos that actually sets them back months because they have to create something to show the world for this event that they can play instead of just, like you said, doing direct to sending you something online that gets them just as much reactions, if not more. Honestly, and in the end, it used to be back in the day that the industry and the journalists were kind of like gatekeepers for the information. So in order to get information about E3, because the internet wasn't as widespread, we would need to read about it in a magazine. So that makes sense. And I'm not saying gatekeepers here is like a negative. I'm saying it as like, that's just how the industry worked. You went to E3, it was the big trade show. You wrote about it. The magazine that would release in like late July or early August had all the E3 coverage. And then it was like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. Now, since you can go direct to consumer, you you still need your journalists to go in there and give you their take because there's so much information and it's overload. But now that you can go direct to consumer, don't spend the money. Like put that money into a game. Don't build a demo that, and also if you do build a demo, being able to play it on the Shrove floor is great, but also why can I not just make this demo downloadable on my virtual storefront? So it's interesting. Yeah, I feel like the world of demos and a conversation on that is a whole separate piece because it doesn't really exist as much as it used to. You see here and there demos of games released, but not like it used to be. I mean, demos no. were everywhere when we were younger. There were discs full of them or, or you know, I feel like the Xbox aged, everything was a demo disc. Yeah, there were demo discs. You would get them with magazines. You would get them with consoles. I remember buying a PlayStation 1 and it came with a demo disc. Yep, yep. Eventually, they started to go away. They used to be pre-order bonuses, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I remember for Resident Evil 4, I got the demo for Resident Evil 4 when I pre-ordered it. And then I ended up selling those demos later on because people would buy them 
for a lot of money. The hot commodities. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm pretty sure the game we're talking about today probably never had a demo. <laughs> well, it's funny, Mike, because the company we're talking about today probably hasn't had an E3 event. They're, they're such a frustrating company to follow because they're sitting on so much success and no one really knows what they're up to. And we're talking about Konami. Yeah, uh, they they really don't make video games anymore for all really intents don't. and purposes. Yeah. Outside of like their Hudson branch and NEC, I think they own NEC. They don't really make video games at all. Like you'll get Bomberman stuff here and there. But other than that, you're not really getting a lot of games from Konami anymore. All of their main series have been kind of dormant. Uh, and they've kind of shifted focus into making pachinko machines in uh, Japanese for Japanese pachinko parlors, which, you know, if you're in Japan, if you're walking around Tokyo, I remember when I was um, there the first time in 2006, there were pachinko parlors literally everywhere to the point where I thought they were arcades and they weren't. They were just places to play pachinko. And I guess that's where Konami is kind of that's their bread and butter now. But when you have a global pandemic that shuts down the ability for people to kind of go out in public and get together, pachinko parlors probably don't do so well. So maybe at some point Konami will readdress and maybe start making some games again. I don't know. I mean, I know they made a bunch, probably made a bunch of money off Yu-Gi-Oh over the last, you know, 20 years, yep. but um, I don't know what they're doing with gaming right they're, now. They're sitting on franchise such as Gradius, Metal Gear, Silent Hill, Castlevania, I believe the Frogger series and Bomberman were Konami titles. And and the one we're talking about today, Contra. Contra. Contra is one of those games, Mike, that around our age, I feel like everyone, this was one of the first games that you played cooperatively. It was a shooter. It had that arcade experience at home and it was punishing. I mean, what did this game mean to you, Mike? Yeah, Contra was like one of those things as a kid that was just almost terrifying to play because it was like you would play your Mario or Mega Man and they were both, I mean, difficult when they needed to be, but straightforward. Now, those Konami games of the 80s and, or the Ultra games, right? Because Konami, back in the 80s, Nintendo limited how many cartridges you could publish per year. And uh, they did that as a way of quality control. And looking at the Wii shovelware, uh, I understand why you <laughs> might want to do that, uh, though it is restrictive and ultimately bad for these companies. And Nintendo, especially in the 80s, has a history of being tyrannical when it comes to publishing games on their consoles. Nowadays, I feel like they don't care at all. Like they'll publish anything on Switch or let people publish anything on Twitch. But this was a Konami produced Konami game. So this wasn't an Ultra Games game like Ninja Turtles might have been that terrible terribly difficult ninja turtles game well at this point in time you know contra castlevania ninja turtles these games were tough gradius these games were real tough and they were a different level of challenging and me as a kid was terrified of contra for for a bit and then you learn the konami code and you get 30 lives and then it's less threatening and less intimidating but still a very very difficult game but a lot of fun to think about it nowadays, as I look back and I played Contra again recently, the fact that they were able to get two players, right? Simultaneous co-op in a running gun at the same time is really great. That's crazy. If you think about it, like the Ninja Turtles arcade game, you know, you were able to get two players on, but like, if you go to the Super Nintendo, you can't get two players in Final Fight. 
Like Final Fight wasn't able to work with two players. I guess there was too many sprites on the screen. But Contra did it. And there were a lot of NES games that were able to do this. But this game is really simple. It's straightforward. It makes a lot of sense. It It's a run-and-gun platforming shooter where you're just running to the right and shooting everything you can. And some of the most memorable weapon upgrades uh, come from Contra. Yeah, Mike, I think you hit on a lot of great things there. And the first thing being, when you do compare it to a Mega Man and a Mario, those very much feel like user-friendly console games. A lot of the early Konami games, like you stated, they still feel like arcade games. I feel like Konami still didn't really translate to what a console game is versus an arcade experience and the quarter, the quarter eating experience. This game very much is meant to put a quarter in, put a quarter in, put a quarter in because it's punishing. And on a console, it translates very interesting, as you said, because it is a co-op experience. It's difficult without that special, unique. And I think we need to talk about that Konami code because this, you know, cheat codes have a whole lore and world to them. Is there any more known and more popular than the Konami code? I don't think so. I think because it was easy to remember and you could use it in like a bunch of Konami games. I don't think you could use it in Castlevania, but I know that you could use it in Contra. I'm pretty sure you can use it in Gradius. So Gradius Um, is where it actually started. It doesn't get mm -hmm. the credit because Contra is the more, probably the more mainstream, the more known game. You know, know, ship shooters aren't as popular as kind of run and gun. But Mike, give us the code here right now, if you don't mind. What's it? Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, start? Yes, sir. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, And there's now, these are memes. There's t-shirts. There's a whole world and an homage to that code. Exactly. Like people have based their lives around that code to the point where like, I, I believe some of us wish it worked in real life. You know, I would love to, you know, use a code like that and have a couple hundred bucks hit my bank account. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'd be okay with that. But uh, even like websites have used it. I think Facebook used it at one time or Google has used it on their main page. They might still use it on their main page. (laughs) It's just like one of those things where it's like it shows to you how something from a game like Contra, which a lot of people probably haven't played. Sure. um, But they know what the Konami code is because it's a piece of our culture now and how video game culture has kind of permeated throughout and terms and things that video gamers know and have been saying for years are now kind of commonplace. Yeah. And I don't think Contra, you know, 1987 is released in arcades, February, actually February 2nd, Groundhog Day is on 1988 comes to Nintendo. And this very much feels like a Groundhog Day type game because you you die, you start over, you die, you start over. But this game is not the first shooter of all time. It's not the best shooter of all time. But I feel like it made shooters accessible on the console level for the first time. I think so. And I think it also kind of proliferated the genre and has had massive influence moving forward. There's a lot of games that want to be like Contra. Uh, some games are 100% Contra. Uh, there was that one game, I forget, I, I forget the name of the company that released it, but there was a game that was essentially an homage of Contra 3. Uh, the Alien Wars, I think it was called Hardcore's Upri- Hardcore Uprising or something like that. Well, there's a whole legacy of shooters. I mean, Gunstar Heroes is one that comes to my mind. Gunstar which, Heroes. Which is wonderful. You know, I think back to you were streaming this past week some Cuphead. Cuphead, Cuphead I- is Contra. Contra. You're shooting in mm-hmm. the same amount of directions. I believe it's, you know, eight or 12. I don't know how many directions you're shooting in on yeah, diagonals. It's, it's, it's eight, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So eight directions you're shooting in. It's punishing. 
it's very much taking the contra formula, which is, as you said, as basic as can be, and just putting its own spin on it. Yeah, Cuphead, like, I know a lot of folks, and I said this on the stream, a lot of folks always say, oh, Contra's like, uh, Cuphead's like Mega Man. It's like, not at all. It's actually very much Contra, to the point where, like, the way Cuphead jumps is the Contra-like somersault jump. Yeah. And you can jump and shoot at the same time in that somersault. So I think that, obviously, there are more, more. there's a little bit more to Cuphead. There's more depth to it, sure. With its its evasion and its special equipped abilities. But the primary method of traversal and combat of cuphead is contra especially if you're talking about the run and gun levels of, of cuphead and you're not talking about the boss levels those feel like levels of contra the enemies are coming across the screen left to right top to bottom from all angles and those get, contra feels at times almost overwhelming when you have these tiny little sprites shooting at you and you feel like you're trying to bob and weave and not get touched or hit by any of them yeah no absolutely it's definitely a game that that amps up the tension uh, through the amount of stuff they're able to just throw at you. Now, there are definitely ways of playing Contra now after it being around for 30, 34 years where you can really just understand the patterns and, and understand what you're doing. If you've played Contra a lot, I'm pretty sure that... Well, people do perfect runs in their sleep. Yeah, it's probably easy for... This is a 20-minute game. If you don't yeah. If you don't die much and you know what you're doing, this is a quick, as you said, straightforward eight-level game. Yeah. And this game changes it up level design. I think it's cool that this starts as a side-scrolling game, but you get these sort of pseudo 3D type levels. They're kind of cool. Oh, yeah. I love that as well. I I like how they mix it up. And that's very much, I think, part of the arcade DNA, where the first stage is very simple. It's still difficult, but it's very simple. It's like, okay, you're, you're fighting through a jungle. And then you fight whatever that that door thing is. <laughs> and that door thing, I think, has shown up in other Contra games as well since then. But then eventually, you know, you have a waterfall. You have all these. You get into like a space. Ba- you get into like a base. You get into like an alien stronghold. And Contra just unabashedly steals from everything from the 1980s. It's so funny. You look at these shirtless commandos, Bill and Lance. The plot is ridiculous. It's right out of a 1980s movie where basically aliens have taken over and these these men are being controlled by aliens. And these guys, they unabashedly, as you said, look like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sly Stallone. They look like these just big, hunky, you know, masculine. It's it's essentially the cover art, the American cover art. And I don't know what the Famicom cover art is. I don't know what the Japanese cover art is. Yeah. But the American cover art for Contra in that classic Konami cover art style is Arnold Schwarzenegger's character from the predator and Rambo. That's it. 100%. Like you can't even look at that and try to say otherwise like, Oh, well maybe not. It's like, no, but that's what was popular at the time. So it makes so much sense. Why not put that on the front of your box? Why not? You got the predator movies out there. You got uh, Rambo, you got all that going on. Why not try and capitalize and get gamers be like, Hey, I want to do that. I want to go through the jungle and through the hangars and through these alien strongholds looking like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Why not? Actually, I'm th- I think I'm actually wrong because I think Predator came out after oh, Contra. Oh, did it really? <laughs> so it's probably, you know, it's probably Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie Commando. Yes. Uh, yes which is an 85 right. movie. Yes. So it's, it's more it's more that. And, and you know what? Now that I've looked at a picture of it, it's like, yeah, no, nah, this is Commando. It's it's definitely Arnold Schwarzenegger from Commando and 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 John Rambo. Sure. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, you know what? Screw it. People loved Schwarzenegger. People loved Sly Stallone, especially in the 80s. Like that was like their heyday. 
why not make a game starring these characters and just, you know, you'll call them Bill and Lance, but we know, <laughs> we know they're not Bill and Lance at all. You know, we know they're, we know they're other characters. We know they're probably Rambo and, and John Matrix. So it's one of those things where it's just like, all right, that's fine. And what's <laughs> even about it is like, not even the cover art, right? You go and you see the cover art and you play the game. You're like, okay, I understand where you got this rendition from and where you might've taken liberties in uh, designing the cover art because it's a weird story about like aliens, like you said, and, and, and this like futuristic techno technological type stuff. Yeah. But then the bosses in the end game are the aliens from alien. Like they're the xenomorphs essentially. And it's, it's just like, all right. I mean, I think, I think alien came out aliens came out in 1986 and video games had a much quicker turnaround those days. So I'm pretty sure they were just like, yeah, take the, take the aliens. No one's going to stop us. Yeah, I feel like if this was made today, there'd be lawsuits based oh, on the tons. likenesses that are definitely stolen. Tons. It's like, oh, we changed the name to Bill and Lance, and we changed the name of this, and we're fine. Like, no, you can't just, this is totally likenesses, but whatever. It works, and you get these cool weapons. I think you were talking about that before. So you got you know, machine gun, you got the spread ability, you got the I lasers. Love the, I, love the, I love the spread gun. The spread gun's cool, and... Those different weapons, it again, keeps the gameplay fresh. And they don't really explain how these things are floating across the street and you just have to shoot them to unlock an, a weapon. There's no explanation why. It's not like anyone is sending you help. It's just there's these weapons floating in the air and you shoot them down. Just weapons, you, you know, just flight and floating around. It's not like Metal Slug where you'll get your weapons right. from like saving a person and they'll give you like the heavy machine gun or something like that. And Metal Slug is obviously also heavily yes. inspired by Contra. In, in, but it's goofier, you know, it's, it's a sillier very, very version. Over the top silly. But my explanation for that is because gameplay mechanic. Exactly. Because. It's, you know, nowadays you would need to have some sort of sure. explanation. If this was some sort of, you know, open world 3D adventure game, you would have to figure out. It's like, okay, well, we can't just have weapons floating through the sky. Okay. But for us, we could. We didn't care. It's like, oh, yeah, get the scatter gun or whatever, the spread gun. Right. So, it was it's it's just very much like it's a video game video game like it's yeah, in totally, those days totally. they weren't trying to do anything different and as video gamey as it is mike we have not touched upon the spectacular and wonderful music and sound oh, yeah. effects the oh, yeah. sound effects and the music of this game i think are as important as any part of this game i think that first stage has some of the most mem is some of the most memorable music like ever and that Ever. starts at the main menu too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. It's like the second you start it, it's got that, like, it's super like eighties heavy metal. It's got like that finger tappy, like guitar style, but it's so good. Yeah. And when you're playing a game where you're kind of like running through whatever you're running through, whether it's a jungle or like these three pseudo 3d alien base things, it's crazy to like get that you get that feel right you get and, that like vibe and even it's those like, yeah. 3d pseudo levels have that different song it's like do 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 it's yeah. so cool and i think the impact of your attacks and the the weapons and the explosions are felt through these wonderful sound effects that when you shoot your guns and the enemies explode and you're seeing explosions on the screen they're these awesome sound effects that give an impact to what you're doing yeah, it definitely gives it punch, and you need that. You need that in a game. Like, sound design in video games, especially of this era, where there are there was no voice acting, you couldn't hear what the character was saying unless you got a text box that would go like, right? <laughs> in this game, in these games, like, you almost need the music as a storytelling element. And, like, the music when you're in the bass kind of has, like, this kind of, 
sure, it's still rock and roll, it's still heavy metal, but it's got like this almost kind of sneaky, yeah, kind of like it's a little quieter. It's got like almost like a spy feel to it. And then those stages are are crazy. I and you know playing those on the NES, you're like, wow, it's just able to do some stuff. I was looking at that from a different angle when I replayed this game. And you're looking at the art design to try and make these pseudo 3D levels. And it's cool how they use angles yeah. and the way it's drawn to make it look like you're playing this 3D space. But it's it's very, very simple, but it's really just well done. It is super well done. It's it's a bit of the uh, the Disney favorite force perspective yes. of, of the game. But it, it's really fun and it's it, it is it does build tension because they just keep throwing enemies at you. And these enemies then start throwing grenades at you, and then they they do all this stuff. So so it's interesting the amount of stuff they were able to pack into these eight stages to make each stage feel different to a degree. It's not like when you play a game like Adventure Island, where the whole game just feels like it's the same stage over and over again, or it's Wonder Boy on the Sega Master System. Right. But like with with Contra. Each stage feels different. Each stage is a little bit more terrifying. And while there are people who can clear it without ever taking a hit, um, we, the fake gamers of the world, had to use that Konami code a lot. So uh, I'm sorry for not being as good. That being said, I'm very happy that I was able to experience Contra in my youth and actually go back and play it as an adult. It's upsetting, though, that Contra is not available on like the NES Classic. Yeah. There's got to be some sort of weird rights issue there. It must be a funny Konami thing because, you know, they released their Contra Anniversary Collection just in the past, you know, year or two. And it's a great collection. You know, it's got, you know, Contra, Super C, uh, Famicom versions of the games, some other versions Pro of... Robotector? Yeah. That's, is that the PAL version or is that I the... think so. I think yeah. that's the PAL version because Contra was probably a term you might not have wanted to. I don't know why they had to change them to robots in, in the UK or PAL. Yeah, they did funny things back then. This game was supposed to take place plot-wise in like the year 2600, but when it came to the States, they changed it to being 1980s. They yeah, didn't of want to make it a future, you know, it's funny. I feel like it has to do with, in America, it might have to do with, well, I, first of all, the term Contra is also like at that point in time, you know, you're talking about the Iran Contra affair, which, mm -hmm. you know, as I think people immediately associated uh, Contra with that. But I'm not exactly sure why it was changed to Probotector in in the PAL version. It probably has something to do with one of like the country's laws about showing violence and something that kids would play. That's the only thing I could think of why they would change it to robots because they're robots now shooting aliens. So that's fine, you know, in terms of the PAL, like, you know, humans can't shoot humans and aliens, but robots can. Right. Um, so, you know, you have one of those things where they probably changed it because of that. But I think now it's gone back to being Contra, I think worldwide. And it's just a honestly to be to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think there's a reason why they chose the name Contra. I think it just was a cool sounding name, which I think a lot of people did at that time. Well, what's funny is the sequel, which we call Super C, was yeah. Super Contra, exactly another place in the world. But they dropped the world Contra in the states and turned to the Super C. So it is like you said, it it is strange what they've done as far as the title of these games. You know what though? That always happens, right? That stuff gets moved to the United States, and the United States folks who who 
the localizers look at something, it's like, we're not going to call this guy Dr. Eggman. That's stupid. Let's give him a new name. And then it confuses generations of people. And it's like, well, he's Robotnik, right? No, he's not. Isn't he Koopa? But he's Bowser. But it's he's like- Bowser. Isn't he? <laughs> Toadstool? No, she's Peach. Right. She's always, she's only, no, she's always been Peach. We just were told the wrong name. Is it Final Fantasy 3 or 6? I'm going to rip my Uh, hair. (laughs) It's hard being a gamer. It it, is hard. You know what? It it is difficult. (laughs) It's difficult being a gamer, being a gamer, being a gamer dorky kid. And I'm not saying these kids today have it easy because they don't. They've got so much nonsense they got to deal with. The fact that they have a, a bullying device in their pocket 90% of the time that they can open up and just be made fun of and feel awful about themselves anytime they go on social media. So I will never say I, I, I actually I am I would be terrified to be a child right now or a kid right now in terms of like I can barely handle it as an adult. Exactly. <laughs> I open up my, my Facebook. It's like, what do you mean you didn't like that game? That's my favorite. And I'm a loser for liking it. Why? <laughs> What? My opinion's terrible. But like back in, I will say the one thing I really appreciate is that like the gaming culture that we loved and grew up with and being a nerd is no longer like a badge of like that you have to hide, right? It's something that you can embrace. And I love that. Embracing superheroes and comics has never been cooler, right? Yeah, it's, It's like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. If you go back to like the 80s and the 90s and we saw all these video game characters change names and series change names and and it makes you look worse. When like you're like, because now now you're a nerd for like, what do you mean? You've played seven Final Fantasy games. Well, actually, now you're a pretentious nerd because you have to correct people because the names changed. Stop it, please. Just stop making it harder for the dorks. Let us just, you know, just give us the same names. It's okay if we call Bowser Koopa. It's fine. I don't have a problem with it. They did it in the cartoon. It was fine. I think that was a rant. I think that we're going to add that it's in. Close. <laughs> it's close. It's close. I'm not as angry. Uh, <laughs> I, as know, the I know. Situation. It's a nice but- spring morning, so you're not as angry. The other thing, Mike, that I thought was interesting is being that this is a co-op experience, Contra, if you were to lose your lives, your teammate could lose a life and you could steal one of his to come back in, which I know that's happened in other games since then. I don't know if it started here, but it's one of those wonderful things in co-op games where it's like, hey, I had two lives. You just took one. It's one of those oh. just fun fighting, you know, amongst friends. Don't don't get me started on any of that. I'll be going to tell you right now. Life stealing. If you're going to if you're going to if you're going to throw down on Contra, Smash, you got to throw Smash does that, too. It does. Yeah, it, it, it does. Like, but if you're going to throw down on Contra like that, you got to play with someone who's on an equal play level, because if someone's really good and you're trash, that player who's good is going to get screwed over the whole game. Yep. Um, this is not much different than playing like Super Mario, new Super Mario Brothers. Sure. Or maybe 3D World 2. I forget. But like you share like communal lives and it's like, no way. I've earned these yeah, 8,000 lives that I've gotten. I feel. I feel like I made it through this level without taking a hit. Why do you deserve my life? Why do you deserve my life? And like, if you're going to bubble yourself <laughs> in Super Mario Brothers, like stop. But that being said, yeah, it's fun though, right? Because then it kind of gives like a competitive thing to it. And you might have a player that's generous. It's like, listen, I'm real good at Contra. Take all my lives. It's fine. Sure. Let's just have some fun. That's but this is, like, this is like a great game where you can just sit down and blast through it for a little bit. It feels like an arcade game and it feels like an arcade experience coming home. I think there are probably people that actually prefer this version of Contra, the NES version of Contra to the arcade version. Uh, just like there, there's, there's very few games like that out there, but Contra might be one of them. It's just a very great, fun co-op game. And the whole stealing of lives is, is just kind of hilarious. And 
and it's one of those things where it's just like it's part of the of the mythos, right? It's part of the culture surrounding these '80s arcade style uh, video games. And I think, like we discussed earlier, is the the influence of this game, the pantheon of shooters that followed this. The, you know, you have your spaceship shooters, which are its own whole thing, and then you have your run and gun shooters. And I think this game has spawned hundreds, and now they become a whole indie world, basically shooters, yeah. and become part of the indie world but shooters have taken on a life of their own run and gun shooters and there's not too many stellar a plus great a lot of them are flawed and good for like a 30 45 minute experience they don't have a ton of depth to them but they're fun like you said for what they are that arcade at home experience yeah and i think that other games in the series also are very very good uh, especially you know super c is a lot of fun contra 3 the alien wars is typically yeah. the considered the best one on the super nintendo on the super nintendo hardcore contra hardcore where you can play as like a werewolf or something on the genesis is also very very good but like the u.s version of that game is the most difficult thing i've ever played uh, in Japan, it's like it's not a one shot kill in Japan, but in the United States version it is for some reason. It's one of the few games that like they made it more difficult for a U.S. audience, which is rare. And uh, that game is great. But man, is it hard. So if you do play it, play the Japanese version on like the Sega Genesis Mini if you got one of those. And then later on, the series kind of like lost its way for a while and tried to do some like 3D stuff that didn't work out that well. Nothing's was... really worked out well. And I think they haven't done them themselves. I think they've been renting out the franchise yeah. for people to, to make games. And they haven't been very good. I feel like if they went back to their roots, maybe made like a four-player run-and-gun shooter with maybe some of the old-school graphics, maybe in a widescreen format and make yeah. 10 levels, I think you can get an eShop gem for 10 bucks that people would love. No, I agree. I agree. I know there was a Contra 4 on the Nintendo DS that I think some people might like. Yeah. But other than that, I'm not sure. This is also another game that got a Rebirth version for the uh, WiiWare, yep. like Castlevania did. And those games are like lost to lost to time. And M2 made that one. And M2 is a great developer and an even better like emulator company. Yeah. Like they make really good emulated games. But you know we've seen we've seen more of this moving forward. Like Hardcore Uprising is kind of in the Contra series, but that's like its own thing. And then there was a Contra Rogue Core that came out recently that wasn't very good. But then you have stuff like Cuphead yeah. or even like Broforce to a degree, right? Sure. And uh, most recently, Blazing Chrome is probably the best modern Contra game if you're looking to play a 2D side-scrolling game that looks and feels and acts. 100% like Contra. Unless you want to talk about Cuphead. I would say the, the Star Wars games on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. The Super Series. I feel like all those were very much in the Contra feel to them. I think so. For sure. For sure. They were, they were very punishing, very difficult. I would say even like Ghouls and Ghosts type games have like a Contra feel to them a bit. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> those games are so punishing. Those games. I'll tell you. If you want to talk about like Contra being real, real hard, and, and it is. Nothing is as depressingly difficult as I don't think I ghouls ever got through the first level. <laughs> I've played Ghouls and Ghosts and Ghosts and Goblins in like every iteration because, as someone who loves Capcom as much as I do, it's like something you got to try to at least play every so often. But like, that's not even hard anymore. Like, those games aren't even difficult, they're just like impossible. And there's people who like get through them with no hit, they, they sure. don't take any hits and they never lose a life. And it's just like, how do you do this? But man, does that game just want to punish you? But that's what they did. They're, they're arcade yeah. games, right? That's the yeah. point. You got you to gotta spend that money. 
Another couple here is uh, Alien Hominoid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember that game. some cool cartoony graphics. Sunset Riders was a popular one. Okay, yes. Well, Sunset Riders is also Konami. That's like if Contra... That is your four, or is that three player, right? That's like a three player contra. That's like a three player game. It is. The Cowboys. It might have been four now that you mention it. Yeah, it might have been four, but I remember there being like like a guy with two guns, a guy with one gun, and like a shotgun guy. Yep. And you were, you know, it was an Old West themed something in between like Contra and like, you know, a classic Konami beat em up. It was like kind of like a mix between the two, but I love Sunset Riders. Yeah. I love that game. And I think, like you said, Metal Slug, uh, like I said earlier, Gunstar Heroes and Cuphead are probably the most successful yes. versions of this. And it's funny that when you look back on, you know, Xbox, PlayStation, all the different consoles out there, very, very few successful running gun shooters. Very few successful because I think everything just goes back to Contra. Ultimately, yeah. it's like, yeah. all right, well, how can we make it like Contra? And there aren't as many Contra games as there might be, you know, your standard platformer likes. But, you know, there are more, probably more Castlevania games now. See, I feel like if, if someone was going to start a running gun shooter today, I feel like you would have to add depth to it. So maybe you add some like RPG elements, like level up systems, like you kill enough enemies, maybe your character levels up and you can upgrade your stats and upgrade your jumping abilities. I feel like there'd be something there if someone wanted to make a deeper running gun shooter. Yeah, I think so. Uh, maybe you'd have to make it a little deeper. Maybe you would have to uh, make it more accessible and maybe not as difficult. So like maybe over time, you know, you could get items or buy things uh, that can increase your stamina. Or health bars your, or things yeah, like that. Yeah, stuff like that. I think that in putting out a game like Contra today in its purest form without a code, I think there would be a, a small group of gamers that would be all over it. Uh, similar to how there are folks that are like all about Dark Souls. Or like Celeste. Yeah, yeah. They like, like really, that type yeah. of, they like to grind through those old schooly looking games, but a little challenging as well. Exactly. And and I think it could do well today. I just, I'm just not sure, you know, to what degree uh, people would want to play something new like this when they could go back and play Contra, especially now that there's that Contra collection out. So, yep. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for talking about the classic NES Arcade Contra, and we would all love to know, what have you been playing? Yeah, I'm still playing Bravely Default 2. I'm probably about 30 to 35 hours into that game. Uh, I'm really liking it. I did fall off a little bit because um, sometimes at RPGs it happens where it's just like, I don't feel like grinding. And that's the thing where I'm at now in my life. It's like, I like RPGs a lot. I love them. I love RPGs, especially like traditional style JRPGs. I think they're they're one of my favorite genres out there. But as someone, as there's so many games out there that I, I want to play, it gets a little frustrating where it's just like, all right, well, now you got to spend like two to three hours of your time grinding so that you can fight some boss. And I get that. And it's part of the genre. It's been part of the genre from the beginning. But like my, my overall general complaint and criticism of RPGs of this style are... Grinding does not progress your story. Grinding does not make you a better player. It just increases your... your The length of time. Yeah, it, it increases your length of time and it increases your character stats. So, like, it's not a skill thing. It's like, okay, an RPG becomes less about skill in this instance and becomes more about time investment. But that being it's, said... It's, it's padding. It is definitely padding. And I've liked when games have incorporated sort of auto yeah. combat where yeah, you yeah, can yeah. turn that on. Basically, you move your mouse around or you, or you move your you know your joystick around. You get into a random battle. It auto beats the guys. 
and you collect your XP and you go into the next battle. And you don't have to like think. You can turn your brain off. You know what? Making an RPG where you don't have to battle a lot is also is not good, right? So there's got to be a happy medium there. And I think that a little grinding is okay. Like sure. when I played when I played Octopath Traveler, there's four play, there's four chapters in Octopath Traveler and there's eight characters. So what I would do is I would use all the eight characters and then in between the chapters, I would do like maybe a few battles, maybe spend like 10, 15 minutes just getting a little, you know, getting some experience and, and, and getting my characters to level up a little bit. And Bravely Default 2 isn't, you know, it is grindy. It is grindy. And I'm not trying to say I don't like the game. I actually love this game. I, 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 I'm enjoying it. And it's more than just about the grind. It's, it's about your job class combinations. It's about your special abilities. It's about being able to mix and match and have a really great strategy. And there's a whole bunch going on in the battle system, which is great. But you still do have to grind. And that's why I always appreciate a game like Earthbound, where you get to a point in Earthbound where when you're in a dungeon and there are enemies on the screen, you get to a point in, in, in that game where you level up to where you can just walk into them and automatically beat them. And that's a great way to handle this type of thing. Yeah. In Brave of the Default 2, when you're higher level, the enemies you're, that you would run into because the enemies show up on the map, not random battles, they run away from you if you're too powerful for them. And that's good too, but it's not like you don't get that auto-kill, auto-experience that you get in something right. like Earthbound, which only happens if you're of a level that's too high for the enemies that you're fighting, which the is The only thing that's more frustrating is when enemies scale to you. And I that's find the- that is just the worst. When I think they call that rubber banding, where it's like, you level up too much? Okay, now the enemy's going to level up with you. It's like, no, why did I level up so much? Yeah, it's the, well, that's, that's the big thing with Final Fantasy VIII, right? It's like, don't grind because they scale the enemies. And I like that about Final Fantasy VIII. You don't have to grind. You can just kind of walk through, play your side quest, do your, do your main story and have fun with it. But scaling is a little annoying uh, when, you, when you get to it. You know, back to what you originally said, though, I think there is sort of a rite of passage and a earning it when you do grind enough in these RPG games that when you do finally beat a big boss or beat a certain area, you go, yes, all that grinding paid off. I did it. Hells yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely like, it's like you got out what you put in, you know? So fighting these bosses or fighting bosses like that when you're, when you've grinded a whole bunch is, 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 is cool. It is cool. It's just that sometimes as a 34 year old man, (laughs) I don't want to spend three to four hours well, on that's Saturday. What I, what I loved about Final Fantasy VII Remake is yep. there were different difficulty settings. Yep. So if you wanted to lower the difficulty and let's say you wanted to breeze through a certain area, you could. You could take more of the scenic approach and a cinematic approach. And I think RPGs should encourage that more often. That way, if someone doesn't want to have to grind through a certain area, it's not just one difficulty, you know, scale down. So people that don't want to grind for 60 hours. You're playing a single player game. You know, unless you want to brag about playing it on difficult, like there's no competition here. Nobody, nobody nobody cares. There's there's no rankings online. (laughs) It's like you played the game. You still, you still put 40 hours into it. You still played through the story. You know, it's whatever, whatever. It's not like a classic style arcade game like Konami where there might be leaderboards and there might be, you know, speed run type things. And there might actually be some sort of competitive nature to it. You're playing Bravely Default 2. And you put you turn it down to easy because a boss is giving you too much of a hard time. You just want to move on. I'm okay with that, yeah. especially like as an adult. Maybe if I was 15 or 16, I have some real problems with something like that. But now that I'm like an adult and I don't want to waste my time uh, on grinding and, and whatnot, I, I look at him and go, yeah, you know what? I'll just pump it down to easy for like a fight and then bump it back up. You know, it's 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 not a problem. But I do love Bravely Default 2. I've been enjoying it. 
Uh, I'm very excited to finish this. Hopefully I finish it soon. I think I'm getting closer to the end. I'm like in the fourth of, of I think, five or six chapters of the game. It's a really great RPG. Uh, and then after this, I'm looking to maybe get into Persona 5 Strikers, even though I'm not really a big Muso guy. It doesn't necessarily feel so much like a Muso guy. And I've been playing a lot of Street Fighter V. I've actually finally have made the jump to playing Street Fighter V online. And I'm getting beat a lot, but I'm also winning a bunch. So that definitely makes you feel pretty good, too. Who is your main in Street Fighter V? Oh, God, here we go. This is borderline embarrassing, but I don't care. My main is Street Fighter V after years of being a a Guile player. Uh, Guile or Ken depends on which game. I've. No, I actually put a lot of Ryu, too, or Sagat. Like, it's it's almost like I always I play Guile and Street Fighter 2 all the time. Even like that was the, that was the best. And then when we got to like Alpha, I think I played a bunch as like Ken or Sagat. Uh, Street Fighter 3, I definitely played as Ryu. And then Street Fighter 4, I was a Sagat player. And then I would switch, the, I would switch it back. But in Street Fighter 5, you choose the character you play as online as like your, your main character. You, it's actually a little difficult to change which character that you go into online battles as. But I play as Rainbow Mika, who is a Japanese pro, pro wrestler. And I don't know why, I just find the character incredibly fun and silly and, and just the right type of insane uh, and ridiculous. Because like, she's a wrestler, so she's hard to use. She's not very good. She's I had like, to look her up because I'm not, I'm not as familiar with Street Fighter V. Low tier garbage. She looks ridiculous. <laughs> she's so crazy. And it's, it's like, she uses wrestling moves. So she's almost in the vein of like a Zangief. Awesome. Uh, but, you know, she does drop kicks and, and big chops and one of her reaction moves, because you get like a, a reaction move. If you have a certain bar filled up, you could do a Stone Cold Stunner. So like, I just have a lot of fun just, you know, playing these. I love wacky characters. Like I've always been about wacky, wacky, wacky characters. The wackier, the better. And I was just like, you know what? She's in this game. She was in Street Fighter Alpha 3 and really bad in Street Fighter Alpha 3, but she's in this game. And I was like, you know what? We're going to make this work. And it's fun to beat people playing as like Ryu or Ken or like one of the, one of like the mainstay characters as this character that's not that great and a lot of fun. And I've been having a blast with it. That's awesome. Well, those are fun games because you could play them for eternity and exactly. there's no beating them, you know? So you can always get your, you know, your matches in, your games in whenever. What about you? So I have put a couple more hours into Uncharted, still enjoying it. It has shown its age in some ways, but I'm really enjoying the experience. And then also my son encouraged me to plug in my Wii U and he wants to play Super Mario Wii, the, the new Super Mario Brothers Wii. Oh. And it's 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 rough watching a 480p game running on the Wii U. The Wii, the Wii games haven't aged well. No. And I think we're going to look back at the Wii, those 480p they're very fuzzy, very unfinished edges, and it looks almost worse than N64 games do at this point. They look bad, and also at that time, I think the reason why they look bad is they they were mostly making that to play on a CRTs or yeah. like standard definition. So if you play that on a CRT with like component input, it doesn't look that bad, but sure. they don't look great. Uh, the upscaling to the widescreen TV yeah, is not, not good. It's awful. It really is. So we're, we're, we're pushing through that and hopefully I'll get rid of that soon. And then I was inspired to play some Cuphead. I saw your stream and I said, let me play some Cuphead. And I went back in there and A plus a bunch of uh, some of the first world levels, the bosses. It's it's, a, it's such an amazing game. I've oh, beaten, Cuphead's beautiful. Yeah. I've played through it several times and it's punishing. I've 
lost to some bosses 100, 200 times. And I'm not ashamed of it. I'll watch a YouTube video. How did this guy finally beat this boss? And I'll, I'll get some strategies that way. Yeah, I watched the speed run where some people take, where they take no hits. And it's crazy how yep. you're able to play that game without ever getting hit. And then there's the people that take hits because it's a speed run. You're just like, you just deal with it. It's okay. But they, they memorize the patterns so well. But also there's a randomness to Cuphead, which makes it even harder to try to get good at because then you have to just understand the animations better. But I always look at Cuphead and I still can't believe it's a video game. It's, it's like gorgeous. The it's music, like, the art, when, you, when something explodes, when you attack it, there really is nothing like it. And I, no. play, I play primarily on the Switch. If you play it on the Xbox or PC or elsewhere, it's even prettier somehow. Yeah, no, it's like... I can't believe they did the work they did as an indie developer. I mean, obviously they've been bought by Microsoft and Microsoft now owns that company, but as an indie developer to make it's, a game. It's a cartoon come to life. It's crazy. really unbelievable. So that's great. Uh, Mike, if people wanted to watch you stream some more, where can people follow you? Okay, so I've been streaming with my band now, uh, mostly. So you can find us at twitch.tv slash badmaryband. Uh, we, we're going to stream... Every Thursday night, I believe we're going to try to stream video games. And I don't think it's always going to be the same game. I think we did Cuphead. I think we're going to move on to something else. But you can find us there, twitch.tv slash badmaryband. I myself don't really stream that much anymore uh, just because it's time consuming. But I will stream for the band's sake. And it's worked for us. It's actually been really cool. We do live music on Tuesdays and then we could do video games on Thursdays. Uh, you can find us there. You can also find my band at badmary.com and on Twitter at badmaryband, especially also all social media. We're at badmaryband. Uh, and then you can find me at the underscore Mike underscore Staub on Instagram and on Twitter. And uh, you can find me here every week on the Hall of Fame podcast uh, talking about video games. I know there's also now Hall of Fame Broadway, which is very cool. So we've got a lot of Hall of Fames going on right now, which I, I like to listen to and have a lot of fun with, even when it's stuff that I'm not as familiar with, like Broadway and less familiar with film than the uh, wonderful shows that you guys have put out. But you have some really great experts on there talking about this stuff, so it's really great to listen to. And uh, I also do another podcast called How About This, which you can find at How About This on Instagram. Uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a pitch show, so we've talked about everything, uh, pitching new ideas for existing franchises. So uh, it's been a lot of podcasting, a lot of fun. But you can always find me streaming there. You can find me here. So there's a lot. I'm pretty present on the internet. If you follow me on Inst on Instagram, maybe a little bit of Twitter, but if you follow me on Instagram, you're gonna get the full the full list of everything that I'm going doing and working with. Yeah, definitely check out Mike and his friend Jordan's podcast. How about this? I've listened to most of the episodes and they're a lot of fun. And if you enjoy some of Mike's takes on things on our podcast, it's even more fun to let his creative juices flow and they really get into some real fun stuff. Yeah, we've had some fun. Uh, you know, we're trying to figure out where to go next, but it's uh, we've we've had a lot of fun talking about a lot of stuff, uh, and it's just one of those things. That it's like how how many conversations have you had where you sit down with someone and go, you know what I really wish they'd make? It's like one of those things uh, and about dorky stuff, not about like businesses, because um, that would be <laughs> that would be an effective. Oh, you're, you're not doing politics next. <laughs> no, no politics, no business. It's not one of those things where it's like. It's not an actual useful podcast unless you need that hour of escapism to where you hear us talk about how much we just want to see King Kong beat up. Monsters. So it's like, you know, we're, we're a couple of really old kids and that's just how it works.
That's it. And Mike and myself here have some wonderful games listed for our next few episodes that we're going to talk about. So we hope you guys stay tuned, keep listening, subscribe, leave a review, and thank you guys for joining us. Yeah, every time you subscribe, leave a, leave a review, write something, it makes the podcast more visible to people out there. So thank you all so much for doing that. I, I love looking in and seeing the reviews, especially, you know, obviously we're going to love seeing a five-star review. Uh, that's always really helpful for us. And it's it's an easy, free way to support the podcast and help more people find it uh, that, you know, takes you a few minutes. So we really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yep. And uh, any comments and feedback? We've gotten a bunch in the, in the past. In the future, if you do email us, we will actually read your feedback or comments on the next episode. And that'd be fun to uh, kind of interact with you guys. All right. I'm sorry about trashing Skyward Sword. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, guys. I, I don't mean guys, to. Guys, you know, at, at Mike right now. Come on, come get him. <laughs> no, I just, I'm, I, I feel like that's where the hate mail is going to come in. It's like, of all the Zelda games you have to bash, you like Zelda too. <laughs> but Mike, in Links of the Past, his hair is pink. It's pink. I, 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 it's, we're not. <laughs> it's frustrating, but it's true. <laughs> all right, we'll see you guys next time. See ya. Thank you. From Mike and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Game Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time. <laughs>